Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. My name's Anthony, I lead Ivy in the different places that it meets, you're very welcome and it's great to be able to meet with you tonight. Um, I'm going to be looking at um, a question, uh, what I've been thinking while I've just been away is all about wisdom, that word wisdom, what does it mean to you when you hear the word wisdom and uh, how do you find out what wisdom is? Um, We've, myself and Zoe, my wife, just been away to uh, have a nice holiday week. Uh, somewhere sunny and um, when I was lying there and reading some books and doing various other things I just kept, kept going around in my head and I thought what am I going to speak about on Sunday night and every time it just kept coming back talk about wisdom think about wisdom so I knew I was meant to I just didn't know what I was going to say and um, it's all kind of come together fairly last minute but the first line of an amazing book a famous book by a guy called M. Scott Peck which is called The Road Less Travelled is it just says this life is difficult Hands up if you agree. Life is difficult. It's difficult for everybody in different times. And, uh, you know, I say we've just been away for a fabulous holiday and uh, the sun was shining and, uh, well, there as well as it was here. And, um, and even that, you know, it used to be when I was a kid, going on holidays wasn't complicated at all. All you needed to do was carry a bucket and spade. That was all you kind of carried if you carried anything. Uh, But then as you grow up, it gets a bit more difficult. You have to pack a bag. You have to think about the things that you're carrying. You have to make sure that you're carrying the right documents to be able to get on the plane. You need to be able to prove who you are. You need to have all of those kind of different things. And, uh, and I'm also, at the same time, in a way, as you go through life, you end up carrying people on your heart, don't you? You're thinking about people. So in those moments when you're not really thinking about anything, suddenly somebody will come to mind. It could be somebody that you care about, a situation that's difficult, or somebody that you're kind of thinking about, or if you're a praying person that you're praying for. And, and the fact is, as, as we grow, as a church and as we connect to more and more people that's brilliant but it also means as you get to know more stories you find out there's more more tragedies connected to more people's stories there's more there's more difficulties there's more things that people are having to to struggle through and if you care at all you start to care about them and that can be something else that you you carry as well the apostle paul wrote to a group of people in a church called Corinth and in uh, this second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he, he talks about all these external things that he had to go through that were really, really hard for him to go through and things that he'd gone through in his life. Um, but then he said, actually, not even more than that, there was people that he carried, situations that he carried that was hard for him to bear. And he said this, he said, you know, that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When somebody's duped into sin, when somebody like messes up again in some way that's going to just mess them up and they mess everything up up around them, an angry fire burns in my gut. He's not angry at the person, he's angry at what happens when people end up with these kind of things happening to them. And so, like I said, we want the church to grow. We want to reach more people and connect to more people. But the more people you get connected to, the more pain there is out there in the world that you end up getting connected to as well. And 
you know, you can end up withdrawing. You can end up saying, well, the best thing for me is just build a wall, but the same wall that I build to keep me in keeps you out. So it's not really an option. And life is difficult. Life is difficult for everybody. Everybody you meet, we're all either coming into something, going through it, or just having come out of it, aren't we? That's the way it works. That's the way life kind of comes to us. And it, and it could be all kinds of different things that suddenly trigger that problem for you or for somebody else. It could be an email. There's so much, many more ways now that the problems can come. It could come on a text from somebody. Everything's fine, everything's great. Suddenly you get that text. You're like, oh, what's that? Or you put the news on. And, you know, that, like the technology that we're using that's supposed to help us and make us feel happier ends up, you know, worrying us even more. There's more, more ways for me to be fearful. There's more ways for me to be worrying. And there's more things for me to worry about. There's more things for me to end up complaining about or feeling resentful about. And, and you know, it's like you can't get it out of your head sometimes. And, and then you know you're happy but then you find out somebody else isn't happy with you for some reason and it's like contagious because no I'm not happy because they're not happy and it just gets worse and I, and I often think about the, the, the kind of the most tragic picture for me of this is somebody who, who I think was absolutely amazing which is Robin Williams who in 2014 killed himself people all over the world loved him you know, he was amazing. He had this, and he achieved so many fantastic ambitions that he had when he was a young man. You know, he said he wanted to have the number one show in America. And he got it while he was still a young man. Some of us can remember it was called Mork and Mindy. <laughs> and, uh, and then he decided after that, he'd done comedy, he wanted to carry on with that. But he also wanted to be a serious actor. He wanted to do some serious films. So he went into doing that. He ends up getting the Academy Award the best supporting actor in, in Goodwill Hunting. He's like this amazing guy. And you know, he said a few, a lot of wise things. He said, everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. So always be kind. And he also said, I think the saddest people always try their hardest to make other people happy. So he was rich and he was famous and he was funny. And he was successful in all kinds of ways. And he learned to make everybody happy except himself. See, on the plane, going there and coming back as part of the drill that really I should listen to, uh, they say this famously, don't they? About the oxygen mask. You know what they say? Put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you go and help somebody else. Is that selfish? No, because you have to do that. Jesus said you're going to love other people as you love yourself. So you've got to learn to love yourself or you're never going to be able to learn to love anybody else. If you can't learn to care for you about yourself, how can I learn to care for anybody else? How do I even let God take care of me? Because life is difficult. And some of us have figured that out enough to realise that we can't figure it out by ourselves. And and we, we figured it out enough so that we realise I don't want to try and figure it out myself and I don't want to fight through it alone because I lose too often when I do that some of us decided to lean more into God over the years as these things happen and as the years pass by but that, that doesn't just mean it all gets better does it if we're honest it doesn't mean like you know, that, you know Jesus said in this world you will have trouble Nobody ever made that into a fridge magnet. 
and put it up for sale somewhere. Life is difficult. How do we cope with it? How do we not just cope with it? How do we thrive with it? How do we live like that in this world? So on holiday, to be honest, first few days, I, didn't, I just switched off. I just tried my best to switch off. It takes me a few days just to be able to try and switch off. And so I listened to audible books, thrillers, reading books about spies and all that kind of stuff, just to switch my head off. And, um, you know, I need a break because if I don't get a break, I'll break. Yeah, so it's good to have a break. Everybody needs a break. But, and it's a, bit like, it's a bit like the broadband. When the broadband goes in our house, it's because it's all overloaded and there's too many things that are going all at once. So what do you have to do? Switch it off. Switch it off. And then go, oh no, there's no broadband. <laughs> it's like, oh, how are we going to live? There's no broadband. And then it comes back on again and it's like, ah, now it's all okay again. But it's like, you know, we have to switch off. We have to go, and then we plug back in again. And that's got a lot to do, I think, with God and his wisdom. Um, So just because I was on holiday doesn't mean that I wasn't reading the Bible. I don't get time off from that because that's not an optional extra. That's part of my oxygen mask. You know, that's my oxygen mask from heaven for living on earth. I'm getting the wisdom and revelation from God. Otherwise, I'm going to suffocate very quickly and try to live just on my own wisdom. So we do a daily reading plan that takes you through the Bible in a year. I've done it for years. And at the start of the break, we were finishing off listening to this book called Ecclesiastes, which is a a funny book in many ways, right in the middle of the Old Testament. And um, it doesn't matter whether you've heard of it or not. It's about this. It's really the story. It's, it's the memoirs, if you like, of an old guy at the end of his life who's looking back on his life and trying to make sense, trying to figure out what's the meaning of life, what's it really all about. And it's and it's difficult sometimes to be able to get your head into it because it's a. It's not like so much like a history book, like various. You know, it, that's one kind of literature in the Bible. This is more. It's, it's part of something that's called wisdom literature. In the Bible, there are certain books that are just there to help you to think about wisdom and to help you think about what wisdom is and how do we live wisely. It's exploring what life's all about. And Ecclesiastes has got a lot more questions than answers, which I think is good sometimes. It's good to go in and really think and ask some questions. And there's a phrase that you're going to hear a lot in Ecclesiastes, especially at the beginning of it. It talks about what life is like under the sun which usually doesn't apply at all in Manchester. (laughs) But in the last couple of weeks, it has done. And under the sun doesn't mean when it's sunny, actually. What it means is life, in a way, kind of apart from God. If if it was like the highest you could get was the sun, and then beyond that there was no heaven and no God. I know it's not really stacked up like that. But if you could think about, it's like just life as it is, life as it appears to us, just to ordinary human beings, That's the phrase that it means. And Ecclesiastes follows right on from another book of wisdom called Proverbs. And Proverbs is doing a similar thing, but a lot more simple thing, if you like. It's a lot less complicated. The book of Proverbs just is full of, guess what, Proverbs. Stuff that's usually true. Things that you kind of listen to and you kind of think, yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah, life's like that. Yeah, that's the way it it seems to me too. That's, That's how life works in Proverbs. But Ecclesiastes is more for when life doesn't work. It's more for when life doesn't work out like that, when it's not quite that simple as sometimes it would appear. And you try to figure that out and try to work that out. And the guy who's trying to work this question out, he calls himself the son of David. 
So some people think that he's Solomon, although there were lots of kings who followed on from the line of the famous David, it could have been any, any of them. But he also calls himself the king of Israel. So at some point he's been a king in Israel. And another point he calls himself the teacher. He calls himself that a lot. Because he's learned some things and he's trying to teach us. What's he learned about life? Sum it all up right at the beginning. He basically sums it up at the beginning and he explains for the rest of it why he thinks that. And he says, do you know what I think about life? It's meaningless. What's the meaning of life? It's meaningless. Under the sun. Apart from God, if there's no God, really, and it's just us, it's meaningless. It's a vapour. The Hebrew word that is used for meaningless is Hebel, and it just means vapour, like steam. It's here, and then it's, it's just disappeared. Here today, gone tomorrow. You're here today, you'll be gone tomorrow. That's it, and it doesn't really matter. And atheists, in that sense, are right. If, if this is all there is, there's a, one of the most famous atheists was a guy called Bertrand Russell. And he said this, unless you assume a God... The question of life's purpose is meaningless. And no doubt he would be really annoyed to find that the Bible agrees with him. (laughs) Now, if you've heard of Solomon, you know that when he started out, kinging, being the king, God appeared to him in a dream and said, asked him a question. Like, in a way, a bit like a genie. God appears to him and says to him, ask me for anything. What would you ask? If God came to you and said, ask me anything, what would you ask? What would you ask for? So Solomon's like, wow, crazy dream. Uh, What does he ask for? Wisdom. Everybody knows that's what he asked for. That's what we tell the kids in Sunday school. That's what he asked for. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. Because even at the start... He wasn't actually that full on for God. So when God turns up in a dream, there's some half in and half out stuff going on about how he's going to be for God. Because he kind of wants God to bless him, but that's about as far as it goes. He wants God to sort his problems out and to help him to be successful. But he, he still wants to be in charge. He doesn't want God to be in charge. And as you track that through his life, that gets further and further and bigger and bigger and bigger. That little thing that's going on in his life at the start, which is like, yeah, I want God to help me, but really I want to be in charge, ends up taking him down a particular path in the rest of his life that leads him into a very dark and destructive place, as we'll see. So I'll just read you a little bit um, from 1 Kings chapter 3. It says this, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter, which is against God's exact instructions. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. It's like he's, he's got a bit of the God stuff going on, but he's also got this other... The secret stuff, this other life, if you like. It's not even all that secret. He's got this other life too. He's, he's got divided in his affections, if you like. The king went to Gibeah to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and he presented a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. And at Gibeon, 
The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. So you can see the context of this. He's not like a little boy. Sometimes he gets pictured. Solomon's this little boy who doesn't know how to be king and he has a dream and God comes and says, he's like a fully grown man who's trying to keep a bit of God stuff going but also keeping himself in charge. And then God comes to him and says, now what do you really want? And Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and given him a son to sit on his throne every day, which is me. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of your father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. He's not really a little child, but it's a figure of speech. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great number, too numerous to count our number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? In other words, he's saying, make me a good leader. That's what he's saying. It's it's kind of part of wisdom, but it's not wisdom, as we're going to see. Wisdom's a lot bigger than that, isn't it? Just knowing how to be a good boss. Did you ever have a good boss who wasn't all that wise? It is common. So he's asked, please help me to lead people. But he's not really asked for wisdom. But anyway, verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, that's what he asked for. Later on, he famously asked, does some pretty weird decisions for somebody who's asked for that by the way as we'll see I'll do what you've asked I'll give you a wise and discerning heart he gave him even more than he asked for that's what God does that's what God's like he asked for a discerning heart God said I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there'll never have been anybody like you nor will there ever be moreover I'll give you what you've not asked for both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if, say if, if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I'll give you a long life. And Solomon awoke from the dream. And he was like, whew, I need a coffee. And the dream came true. But then you go on a few chapters and it says this, his fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants. <laughs> How cool is that? From the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures and fish. You just imagine Solomon. Let me tell you about small creatures. That's what he did. He's like super clever. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon is this really clever, sophisticated, affluent, well-educated man ruling this incredible empire that has its golden years under his rulership. But he's not fulfilled. Because how many of us know that you can have success without fulfilment? Yeah. What makes you fulfilled? What makes you fulfilled is not the same as what would make the person sitting next to you fulfilled. It'd be easy, wouldn't it, if we're all just the same, but we're all different. 
Solomon said to God in the dream, I just want to be a good leader. But actually, you know from his life, that isn't all that he wanted. He wanted a lot more than that out of life to make him feel fulfilled. In fact, to make him feel like life was worth living and not so empty, he started to get, he had more and more knowledge, but the more that he knew, that didn't satisfy him. In Ecclesiastes 1, he says, much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. So he said, I said to myself, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure. Have a good time. That's his next thing. Just get out there and have a great time. Party. It was nothing but smoke. What do I think of the fun-filled life? Insane. I did great things. I built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, planted fruit trees in them, made pools of water. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me even more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than anybody before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song, and most exquisite of all my pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors behind me. I wanted anything, I took it. I gave in to every impulse, held nothing back. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward for a hard day's work. Then I took a good look at everything that I'd done. I looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. It was smoke and spitting in the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. Did you notice their reference to slaves, by the way? The way that he ends up, having said that he wants to be a good leader, the way he ends up building his palaces, building his houses, building the walls around it all, building the temple of God was that he got slaves to do it. So he built a temple to a God who set people free from Egypt, who were slaves, and he makes slaves build it. Something going wrong there with that picture, I think. 200,000 slaves at least, he said. The history of his life is recorded and finished in 1 Kings 11, which says this. King Solomon loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you're not to intermarry with, the, with, with them because they'll surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives. What the of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray what did he do in his spare time as Solomon grew old his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord he followed Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech the detestable god of the Ammonites that's the one who does child sacrifices so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord that's his epitaph. That's how it finishes. What a way to end up. In the eyes of the world history, Solomon is this legendary success and this incredibly wise person. In the eyes of the Lord, he did evil. And you know, he's pondering in life, and we all ponder. We all have questions about life and different points. And, and one day, I, I can imagine him sitting in his palace and he looks out and he sees, you know, what's it all about really? I figure it all out and in Ecclesiastes 9.11 he says this the race is not always to the swift or the battle to the strong nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned but time and chance happen to them all it's like he's wrestling with tragedies and turmoils and stuff that goes on and he's like why is that 
Why did that happen? Why didn't that happen? It's unfair. It's a mystery. Some things can't be explained. They don't seem right. The best runner didn't win. The strongest army didn't get the victory. Health and wealth don't just come to the good. Sometimes it's like the worst possible person, you would think, ends up with those things. But suffering comes right out of the blue for people who are like, why, why them? He goes on. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a slayer, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. It's like, suddenly, just comes out of the blue. And you know, we see that. Couples who are healthy and loving, mature, who you think, they make the best parents, but now they can't seem to have kids. Or the nicest people that you know who are just like healthy and looking after themselves in all kinds of ways and suddenly they get sick and we pray and we pray and we believe in miracles and we pray for miracles and we do see breakthrough but you know Jesus said nobody knows the day or the hour life is mysterious life is miraculous and life is messy and I don't know about you but I'm willing to admit that I need help to try and figure it out And the good news is, God's made his help available to us and his wisdom available to us. But before we get to that, I need to talk about three alternative ways that people use and are available to us to cope with it. To cope with life, rather than God's wisdom, people, there's three options as I see it that are available to us that people go for. Number one is facts. Number two is fantasy. Number three is formulas. One way our culture tries to help us deal with the messes and mysteries of life is more and more facts. Information overload. Four million hours of new content a day on YouTube. 4.3 billion Facebook statuses a day. 22 billion texts sent every day. And we can find out facts anytime we want, can't we, these days? Hang on, let me check. 5.2 billion Google searches every day. Does knowing more facts always lead to more wisdom? Will more information about the world leave me less stressed out about it? Or more? It often does for me, the opposite. How many times can you remember, when can you remember the last time you watched the news and at the end of it you came away and you're thinking, oh, I'm so glad that I found out all that information from the news. See, it's not just, it's not just facts. Often it's, it's fear-driven facts to keep us watching or reading. Because having access to information or knowing more facts doesn't necessarily make you wiser at all. Facts isn't wisdom. Knowledge is knowing what it is. Wisdom is knowing what's what. See, we can put a massive premium on cleverness or even on getting our kids the right kind of education, going to the right university to get the right job so they can have the right future. And I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But you can have all of that and in the end, does that guarantee they're going to live right? 
making decisions to become more the kind of person that God made them to be? Have they learned how to handle life's mysteries? For all the learning, do they know how to listen? Do they know how to love? Do they know how to live? That's the first way our culture teaches us to deal with the messes and the mysteries of life, by ourselves, under the sun, with facts. The second is with fantasy. Woody Allen once said, in real life, people disappoint you. They're cruel. Life is cruel. I think there's no win in life. Reality is a very painful, tough thing that you have to cope with in some way. What we do is escape into fantasy. And it gives us moments of relief. That was his way of doing it. If life's hard, find a way to escape. And we're a brilliantly creative culture, so we find all kinds of different ways to escape from it. Alcohol's been around a long time, but we've added to it all kinds of drugs as well as that. And pornography's been around since before the Greeks, but now it's available anytime, anyplace, anywhere, in billions of different ways. Gambling's been around since the snake bet Adam and Eve that he was right and God was wrong. You don't have to go to the casino in some seedy part of town anymore. You can watch the World Cup and do your gambling on your phone. Just for entertainment. It's endless entertainment. Zoe and I have got the, the most basic TV package. But while we're away in Spain, there's only two channels that were in English. And you know what? It was all right. <laughs> it was like miles better because you didn't have all those rubbish channels to wade through to try and find something worth watching. There's like two or nothing. It was so much easier. I'm pretty convinced Solomon had a sky remote in his hand and was flicking through the channels when he said this. In one verse eight it says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. We'll put that up on there. Sorry, next, the next one, um, please, Matt. Oh, sorry, no, that was right. I thought, I'd put the, I, put, I thought I'd put the passage on. Never mind. Years ago, a sociologist called Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I think that's what we end up doing if we're not careful. And the third way is with formulas. We live in a fantastic scientific age with all kinds of discoveries coming all of the time. Huge discoveries are made, and I'm really grateful for all of them. But the idea of progression can lead us to get to a point where we think we'll get to a point where we don't really need God. We can manipulate everything by our cleverness to our own advantage. I listened to a podcast the other week where two guys were basically saying, arguing which one of them was going to live longest. One of them was definitely, he said, going to live to be 150. And the other one was saying, oh, I'm going to live a lot longer than that. Because I've learned how to manipulate, how to, what I eat, what I drink, the exercise that I do, and all that kind of stuff. And this, I've got all the science behind it. Formulas because of the fear of death. And even in the church, we like formulas. We want simple formulas for how to, five ways to have the perfect kids or the perfect marriage or seven steps to your best life now. But the problem with formulas is they're not magic and they don't work. And if there really was a wonderful self-improvement formula for us, then Jesus would have written that book. But instead he went to a cross to die for our sins, shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and have a, a new start and become a new creation, not just make the old one better. So facts can offer false hope. Fantasies are phonies. Formulas failure, fail us. So how do we 
How do we cope with life? How do we live? We need wisdom. And wisdom is not what you think. Wisdom is how you live. The way the Bible uses the word wisdom, it's nothing to do with intelligence. It's not about IQ or education or qualifications or competence. There's nothing wrong with those things, of course, except they can lead to pride, which takes you away from God's wisdom. But we're used to grading people according to how they did on this or that test paper. The school system just started even younger and younger to peg kids in those different kinds of ways. But wisdom is not a paper qualification or a certificate on the wall. Wisdom is not knowing the right answers. Wisdom's living the right way. It's, it's doing the right thing, God's way. And you have to earn educational qualifications, but the Bible consistently sees wisdom as being a gift. A gift from God that we steward. It's not natural, it's not inborn, it's like something that God gives us to be able to handle earth from heaven's perspective, to be able to have different insight than everybody else has got. One verse from the Bible, you can unpick it and it can have so much wisdom in there, enough for a whole lifetime, if we really think about it. That's what I love about the Bible. The teacher says this in chapter chapter eight, verse one. Who is like the wise person? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. I just thought about that one verse about wisdom. So much in that. I could do it, I could have done a talk just on that one. Three benefits of wisdom in that one verse. Here's what wisdom does so you'll pursue it. It says, number one, getting God's wisdom will make you unique. You don't have to be a copy of anybody else. You don't have to be like anybody else. You don't have to imitate anybody else. You're a one-off. That's what wisdom will do for you. Two, wisdom gives you an unfair advantage. You'll have an explanation from heaven for earth's problems. That's what wisdom does. Not because you're cleverer, but because you're wiser. Number three, it's an inside job, but wisdom changes your outside. It changes everything around you too. Have you ever met somebody who just shines with the spirit of God on the inside of them? That's a different way to be bright. That's what that's talking about. You know, you meet somebody who say, oh, he's incredibly bright. That's what I'm talking about. Where do we go to get bright? Where do we go to get the wisdom that God can give us? Three things and then I'm done. Number one is the Bible. That's what I've been trying to do tonight, just to get you interested. Just to try and get you, for yourself, to spend some time studying the Bible and, I, you know, and there's so much wisdom there. I love the book of Proverbs, like I said before. It's just simple, plain instruction. For years, all I did, on the first of the month, I would read Proverbs 1. On the 15th, I would read Proverbs 15. On the 25th, guess what? And it's amazing stuff. It doesn't take long, but it's such wisdom. And, you know, I'll tell you somebody who's wise. Jesus. Jesus is really wise. So if you read the Bible, you're going to get wise by hanging around with Jesus. He, you know, he told the people, the cleverest people who were around in his day came to him and he said to them, one 
wiser than Solomon is standing right here with you and you don't even see me. So number one is the Bible. Number two is wise people. That's how you get wisdom, hanging around wise people. Not all people, wise people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Is that true? Yes. Is that always true? That's one that's always true. The best way to achieve anything is to find somebody who's doing it really, really well. Go and hang around with them, watch them, do the same stuff. You start sowing what they sow, you'll start reaping what they reap. That's the way it works. Find somebody, if you've got an area in your life, find somebody who's a great role model for that particular thing and somebody who's living life really well in any particular area. You know, it could be wealth, it could be relationships, it could be all kinds of... Somebody who loves God and loves other people and loves the church and, and who's sort of strong and stable. The bright people I'm talking about. Find bright people. And say, can I take you for a coffee? And pick your brains. Ask you about the things that you're doing that I see that seem to be working really well. And then just listen. Ask them questions. Just listen and learn. And number three, third one. So there's wisdom in the Bible. There's wise people to learn from. And then finally, pray. Because James 1 verse 5 says, if any of you, put hands up if this applies to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, I'm closing my eyes, I just want you to, honest, moment of honesty, if that's ever you. If any of you lacks wisdom, put your hand up. Nobody's looking. Anybody, anybody apart from me? Any of you lacks wisdom, good. We've got some honest people. What do you do? Ask God who will say, why are you bothering me? <laughs> who will say, why don't you check Google? Who will say, why don't you look at the news? Why don't you read your paper? Why don't you ask your mates? No. What does he say? He will give it generously to all without finding fault. Isn't it, there's a, the, the old King James version of this, I love it, it says, I don't even know what it means. It just says, he upbraideth not. It's like, he's like, he's not telling you off for asking. You know? Knowing the facts of life won't necessarily give us more wisdom for life. Trying to escape from life through fantasies doesn't lead to a better place. And God doesn't give us a formula, but he does give us an invitation. And if the band could come up... God puts out an offer in the middle of all the miracles and all the messes and all of the stuff that we've got going on in the 21st century. He's got wisdom that stood the test of time for thousands of years that will never be out of fashion. And it's available to everybody all the time for free. Ask God. It's not a course you take It's a decision you make about the course of your life, the way it's heading. It's just, it's as simple as this. 
I'm going to ask God first. That's how you get God's wisdom. Say it with me. I'm going to ask God first. See, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like the, oh, the chief part of wisdom. It's like the most important thing to do is it's just, when he says fear of God, it isn't like be scared of him. It just means respect him. Have reverence for him. So before I decide, I'm going to ask God. What if we all did that this week? Just before you say yes or no, before you commit, before you make it, just say, you know what? I'm going to ask God. I don't want to rely on my own wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. What do you need wisdom for tonight? You don't just need information. Ask God. So would you stand if you're able? And the band are up and we're going to worship in a minute. But I just want you to close your eyes because in in Proverbs, wisdom is personified. It's like wisdom becomes like this incredible woman who appears and is like pictured as standing in the middle of the busiest part of town shouting out to anybody saying, you want to find wisdom? I'm here. I'm not hidden. It's not some secret. You've got to go away and find. I'm like right here. Lady Wisdom. I'm going to read this from um, Proverbs chapter 8 from the message. And I don't know if there's a situation you need wisdom for or you're just saying I just need wisdom, just generally. Just picture this in your mind. Picture this beautiful woman standing in the middle of the street. Do you hear Lady Wisdom calling? She's taken a stand in the city square where the traffic is thickest. She shouts, you, I'm talking to you. Everyone here on this street, listen, foolish ones, learn good sense. I'm telling you how to live well, how to live your best. You with open minds, truth-ready minds are going to see it at once. For wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth. Nothing you could wish for holds a candle to her. And then she says, with my help, leaders rule. I love those who love me. Those who look for me find me. Wealth and glory accompany me. Also honour and a good name. My benefits are worth more than a big salary. Even a very big salary. The returns exceed any bonus you could imagine. So, dear friends, listen carefully. Those who embrace my ways are blessed. When you find me, you find life. Lord, as we go through life with all of its messes and miracles and mysteries, I don't want to just add facts. I don't want to follow fantasies. I don't want to rely on formulas. I want to find you. Because wisdom dwells with you. I want to build my life on your word. Because that's the wisdom difference. Hearing and doing your word is a solid place to build a life on. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.